Hello again, everybody. So this is the first episode of Now What? The podcast which aims to help students in their journey uh, in the big world and the jump in the big world. And the first episode is going to be with a great guy, uh, Andrew Echevarria, uh, now an application engineer at Google. And he has been fantastic. Um, we will go over a lot of things, including traveling around the world, including taking a possible gap year, the difference between taking a gap year or traveling in Europe and traveling in the US, and then some more technical tips about how to connect with people on LinkedIn, how to um, decide about what you want to do next, following your own goals, and many, many more things. I hope you will enjoy that. Um, please check out Andrew on LinkedIn, Andrew Echevarria, E-C-H-E-V-A-R-R-I-A. And let me know what you think. Comment on this post and let me know what do you want next. What would you like next? What did you like about this episode and what you didn't like about this episode? I want this podcast to be very, very interactive with the community because I want to answer the students' question and I want to ask the right people. And it was certainly one of those. So please enjoy Andrew Chevarria in the first episode of Now What? Hello, Andrew. Um, you are the first interview of my podcast and I'm very grateful for you because I uh, I actually started this podcast because I saw a, a, a link, um, actually a post of yours on LinkedIn uh, is exhorting to create stuff for yourself and demonstrate your expertise. Uh, before demonstrating my expertise though, I wanted to 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 ask uh, people like yourself how you uh, how you demonstrate expertise and to get some tips from you and actually um, help everybody else uh, who, are, who are looking to do the same thing, to do the same. So um, what about, so for people that don't know you, you have a very, very, very cool LinkedIn profile and everybody can check it out. Um, so in order to get to know you a little bit better, can you share some background and uh, actually what what you did in college and what happened after that and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me again. Um, I always appreciate the opportunity to connect with like-minded people. I'm glad you found my content helpful. Um, so to tell you a little bit about myself starting from college, um, I actually originally uh, studied neuroscience. So I started my university degree in neuroscience, not computer science. And I wasn't very good at it. And thinking back now for the first time about it, I think I would have been much more successful if I had understood the networking strategies I know today. Because I remember cold emailing so many like researchers and doctors kind of doing what now I would know not to do. You know, hi, I'm Andrew. Can you hire me? Um, but anyway, I decided that because I couldn't really get an internship in that field. I would try computer science, something I was also passionate about. 
so switched to computer science. And at that point, I would say that, you know, my goals were very different than they are today. I think at that point, my goal was just to travel a lot and, you know, maybe become like a digital nomad. And I saw computer science as a pathway towards that. Um, so I started off my career in contracting, um, so it's kind of like freelancing. I don't say freelancing though, because it's not like I was having a new client every week. I was, I pretty much managed, uh, three clients over a few years consistently. So I would do projects for them, um, that would last anywhere from one to three months. And then in between, I would find time to travel, um, and get away whenever I could. So really enjoyed the flexibility that I probably wouldn't have as a full-time job. Um, but it also gave me the opportunity to really learn a lot of really strong hands-on technology skills that I wouldn't have learned, I think, at an entry-level role. Um, so that was a really good, that was a really fun part of my career where, you know, I was, I got to do some really cool contracts. I got to work in Europe for um, one summer, which is really cool. I was in Prague in the Czech Republic, and from there it was really easy to travel to Asia, other parts of Europe as well. Um, so that was a really cool job, but it wasn't really a career. And I did realize that, you know, I did want some stability in my life. And so then two years ago, I decided to come to the U.S. and uh, enter the market here. So I started off at McKinsey & Company, where I was a Salesforce engineer. I moved on to Deloitte, where I was consulting mostly in the life sciences space, so pharmaceutical industry, also doing uh, cloud work. Um, and honestly, like, I had a, had a pretty good thing going at Deloitte, and I planned to stay there for a few years. But then uh, Google reached out to me back in last October or November, and it looked like an opportunity I wanted to explore. Um, actually, a few companies, a few tech companies reached out to me, and I looked at it from the perspective of I'm going to go talk to these companies, I'll see what they have to offer, I'll meet the people, and if it's a fit, I'll follow through. If not, I'm happy at Deloitte. And actually, one other Fang company did give me an offer, and I turned it down to stay at Deloitte just because, again, I had a pretty good thing going there. I really like the people. But ultimately, Google um, offered me a really good opportunity with a really great team and some really good people that I felt might not always be there for me. Um, so I said, why not? And I took the leap, and I joined Google in early March um, Fortunately, I took a month and a half before joining Google to travel. So my 2020 has been great compared to most people. I went to uh, Philippines, Malaysia, um, Brunei, Sri Lanka. Uh, so no regrets there. Um, but yeah, I've been at Google since March as an application engineer, mostly working with cloud systems for the Google hardware team. So, you know, Pixel phone, Chromebook, all those fun toys. That is, that is wonderful. And it is, uh, very interesting how you how you were able to move around different part of the world because this is actually what I want to do and what many many students would like to do so you studied at uh, computer science uh, neuro, neuro, neuroscience before and then computer science and you studied at Carleton University right this is in Canada yeah so actually I originally started my education in neuroscience at the University of Toronto. So that's in Toronto. Um, and then I switched over to Carleton um, because I felt like they had a pretty good computer science program too. And I wanted to change the setting. And yeah, I fell in love with Ottawa and that's where I did computer science. Right. So you were born and raised in Canada and you studied there and then you just moved around the, the globe? 
Uh, so actually, I was born in Peru, so I'm Peruvian. Um, but then I moved to Canada when I was five years old. So that's kind of where I grew up on the West Coast, Vancouver. So again, I've just <laughs> moved around a lot even before I started my career. Cool. Is even South, so even South America first, then Canada, then Europe, then Asia, and then the US. It is a pretty cool journey to do and hope that I can do the same thing because I'm very interested in travel as well. As you, I, I am European as well, so I'm. I'm in the U.S. with a with a with a scholarship and just for studying computer science. So hopefully, I will I will do the same path. And it was very interesting to see um, that you you were able to move from Canada. That you accepted an offer in Canada. Uh, you started off at, at, at IBM, right? Uh, so no, so I was uh, self so I was self employed throughout those three years. So I was doing a lot of contract work. So with IBM too, that's why you see those short stints because they were all temporary contracts. So, mm -hmm. um, all right. Yeah, I, I was self-employed. I was managing other clients at first back in, I think, uh, 2015. Right. And how were you, were you able to move from, from, from Canada to Europe? So you accepted an offer in Prague or you were, you just, what, what did you do in there? Yeah. So funny story. Um, so I did my research. For Europe and Canada has, so I'm a Canadian citizen as well, and Canada has a lot of really cool um, uh, work abroad programs with a lot of European countries. Um, so with some of them, you can only do like jobs like at a bar or something like that, but with all of them, you can work any job. Um, so with this Czech Republic, I could work any job there. And so I really wanted to go there. You know, it's with a country that really interested me. Um, one of my favorite authors, Milan Kundera. Was Czech, so I was always interested in that country. Um, so yeah, I decided I was going to go there. I got my visa. Um, I bought my plane ticket, but I didn't have a job lined up. <laughs> so I would just um, go on LinkedIn and you know search um, keywords relating to computer science or Salesforce or cloud um, in Prague, and then I would you know look through people posting and messages and say, hey, I, 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 you know I'm a skilled professional. I'm, I'm looking for work for a few months in Prague. Like I'd love to do some contract work for you. Um, and yeah, fortunately I did find a great co company called Aspect Works um, and I got to work there. Um, and yeah, it was just a really cool experience. I think just integrating to a smaller company and uh, seeing how they do things. And uh, you know, the talent that worked with there was actually very impressive. I would say they're, they're probably, um, as far as being implementers, they're probably like the second best uh, cloud implementation partners I've worked with second to Google in my career. So I had a really good learning experience there. And at the same time, I got to be in Europe for the summer, you know, try all the beer, travel. So yeah, it was a great experience, but I went into it without having a job lined up. So I kind of just winged it, but everything did work out at the end. They definitely have some, some good beers in Prague, even if they're not, they are not known for beers. They, they have a couple of them. They're very good. Czech beers are pretty good oh no yeah they're known for their beer though and yes the beer there is good and cheap um actually i think the czech republic has the highest consumption of beer per capita in the world most likely <laughs> most likely, i think they battle with germany on, on some end but definitely they have a lot of people drinking beer in there <laughs> and i've been there as well it's prague is, is a very wonderful city very beautiful and so i'm interested to see how how much do you think travel is important in developing someone's mind 
because you know all, all the people right now all the students right now are concerned about getting a getting a, um an education and then from the education going to the job and not leaving any year any gap here or any any room for some experience some word experience that some something that you you have because you you took a plane and you just went there so how, how much do you think how, yeah how important do you think is travel and would you recommend getting a gap year or just getting some experience for students? What, what, what would you recommend to them? Sure. So first things first, I think it's very contextual because so when I was living in Europe, I met so many students that were traveling a lot, but that was because it was very cheap to travel in Europe. Um, you know, you could take a Flix bus to another country and it would be like, you know, five euros or something. And then, you know, you could couch surf and say for free. Like there were so many different ways to travel on a very, very low budget. Um, I can't say the same for America, right? Here, it's a little more expensive, things are further away. Um, and so it's not, I feel like it's not as economically feasible for people to travel here. So th that's the first challenge. Um, but I mean, I, I would, if you can afford it, it definitely, um, for me, travel is so, so important just because meeting different people and you know understanding different ways of communication and just learning about different cultures um and here even just hearing about people's stories right we all come from very diverse backgrounds we've had very very um different experiences and sharing those experiences and learning from their experiences i find very important and you're, you're only really going to get that diversity um if you if you get out of the country i feel because i think if you if you stay in the same place where you grew up or no, you you stay in the same place where you study. You're gonna get a lot of very similar people with very similar backgrounds. So I think um, traveling really adds to the diversity of the people you meet and interact with. Um, so I think that that being said, I do think that if you do have the opportunity to travel, um, I would definitely recommend doing it earlier in your career. Um, so when I had when I decided to go to Prague, I had another contract already lined up with a very well-known company and i chose to instead go to europe um and you know a lot of my friends told me hey like andrew that's a really stupid idea you should be you know building up your resume here you should be doing all these certain important contracts because now you're taking a step behind in your career and i did acknowledge that that was probably what was going to happen um but in the long term i think i ended up just fine now anyway um, so I don't think it slowed me down too much, but I, I, I would definitely see it as much more difficult to take a break now, even for, you know, six months and go to Europe and then come back. Um, then it, I feel like it would have been a lot easier back then, you know, when I was just starting. So I'd say if you have the opportunity, for sure, go for it. It'll, be, it'll become a lot harder to do later on in your career. And you never know, right? It, it can give you perspective and it might make you change your goals a little bit. I'm glad I did it because now I have, I feel like the, the travel bug inside of me is very satisfied. And so now I don't feel like I need to get out of here. Um, I make it easier to focus on my work now too. So I'm pretty satisfied I did it when I did it. Sure, so do you think it actually helped you in order to get to, to advance your career or it was a, it was a step back? Uh, as you said before, because I don't, I don't see it as a, as a step back, but as a way probably that differentiate you from, from a lot of people there. They're just trying to, um, do their technical skills better and not engaging in soft skills that are very important then in later on in the career, right? Is that, is that, is that yeah, true? It, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think it's just like any experience, I think it's how you leverage it. So, for example, um, 
when I've interviewed, for example, when I interviewed at one big four company, the interviewer, the manager really liked that I had worked in um, Prague. So he said like he really valued my international experience and having an international acumen. So that was just one positive. And yeah, like I think that makes you stand out, especially in the US where not so many people travel or had the opportunity to work abroad. And actually at Google, my recruiter was um, Czech or like he, he was a Czech background, you know, and like, I kind of noticed that from his last name, but then he mentioned it during our call because I said, hey, I work in Europe. You know, then we had a friendly discussion over beer and things like that. Um, so just because we live in such a diverse world now and I work within such a diverse workforce, I do find that being able to make cultural connections can definitely enhance your soft skills. You know, being able to connect over this, it just gives you something to talk about too. Um, kind of like, you know, before this, before we started recording, me and you were talking about Italy and languages, right? I think it definitely gives you more to talk about and it shows you have greater understanding of things as well. So I think it could definitely, it's definitely given me an advantage in that sense. Um, more so just in regards to communication. Um, you know, I've been to about 50 countries and I've learned that people can communicate very differently. In some countries, people communicate uh, very, very directly. In other companies, it's very, very diplomatically. Um, and this is something I didn't know before I began traveling. But then now it's made me realize it. And now when I communicate with people in the US, I realize, hey, if someone is very cold to me, it doesn't mean they hate me. It just means maybe that's just how they communicate you now. Um, but also if someone's super friendly, it doesn't necessarily mean they really like me. It could just be that's how they communicate. And so you learn how to navigate these different communication styles. And I found that very helpful in my career. This is wonderful, even because I'm, I'm just reading about this in a book called Mastery by Robert Greene, and he was talking about Benjamin Franklin and emotional intelligence, right? So how he was, a, uh, he was able to change his own behavior in order to adapt the situation he was in and adapt to the people he was in, because he went to a trip in France and he was just, um, he was able to actually uh, merge with the people in France and be successful in France as well, even if he had a completely different behavior from the people in the USA. And people in the USA mm. were saying that, yeah, he was going, he's going crazy about French lifestyle and stuff like that. But he was actually trying to, to, to be like more social accepted in, in France. So it, it is very, thank you for that, because it is going to be very, uh, emotional intelligence is very important for, for everybody. So in regard to this, uh, I wanted to uh, go a little bit deeper into into um, what do you think about soft skills and technical skills. So you are a software engineer. You're not a software engineer, application engineer at Google. And, and so obviously technical skills are very important. But did you have those technical skills when you got out of college or when you got out of college with the computer science degree? Were you, were you at the same level or you just implemented those skills time by time over time? Yeah. So I think that um when i left university so first firstly i think university definitely helped me a lot acquire those skills i know people say you can learn everything online now which is true i self-taught myself a lot before that but i think that university kind of taught me the best practices you know for example how to test your applications how to test them thoroughly and properly things like that um that you might not figure out on your own um so i think leaving um university i was in a pretty good spot technically but then i think when i went into consulting and doing more enterprise application work 
um, just because you're not dealing with like very intense algorithms or sorting or things, things like that, and you're dealing more with building applications, um, it's not as technically rigorous. And so then when I went to Google, I was very nervous for my interviews because I said, oh no, like, you know, I've been doing um, not, I haven't been doing, I haven't done an algorithm in forever. How am I going to do with these interviews? Um, but then I found that with Google interviews, that I thought that they were more interested in my communication skills and in my problem solving skills rather than knowing the actual languages. Um, and I think I did have this problem, those same problem solving skills when I graduated university. Obviously, they're much more well refined now. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, at Google, the interviews were very fair. And they were able to give a very fair evaluation of you know how I, I approached problems um, and how I thought and how I communicated solutions. And actually, one question I asked one of the interviewers at Google was, "What's like the one skill you think that you know the team currently lacks?" And I was expecting for him to tell me, "Oh, we need someone who you know can code in Java or something." Uh, but he told me it's communication skills, it's being able to communicate uh, effectively and transfer knowledge within the team and that really surprised me um so i think that soft you mentioned soft skills they're just, just as important as tech skills in my opinion um and i think but both definitely go hand in hand um i'd say that if, if you can really succeed at both and especially in tech where you know a lot of people lack those skills i think you've been in a very good position to succeed right and this this could be very helpful for uh, for guys like me that uh, are looking to gain those technical skills, but they they want to split that time between technical skills and soft skills because communicating skills are very important in order to communicate effectively with people. And as soon as we go on, maybe in companies like Google, where are plenty of people that can can solve a problem you can you have to be able to communicate with each other because teams is better than the single person or at least this is what i think is that true do you think is that true even companies like google or deloitte or the big four the way that you work for yeah so i think that a big part of this is um negotiation too you know because it, oftentimes you'll have multiple solutions for a problem and it's how do you how do you negotiate with people how do you how do you uh, represent your idea to how do you present it to others um and you know one, one of the most common linkedin messages i get is someone tell me hey andrew i interviewed at google um and i got rejected during the final round because they told me i'm not a team player um i don't i don't get it i'm the very best at what i do how could they say that I, um i don't know why they didn't hire me can you tell me why and i'm like well it's because you know you're obviously not open to feedback if you think you're the best and you know you, you're not understanding you're not being receptive to their feedback um so i haven't worked with anyone like that but i could see um how it would be difficult to succeed actually i have worked with one person like that and um, it, it can be difficult to be successful if you can't communicate effectively or you, you know you, you aren't open to feedback because it is a collaborative effort you know and you need to be able to not take things personally you need to be able to um, also you know uh, communicate your ideas to inspire others or you know if you're, if you're really passionate about your idea be able to convince others that it is the right way and it might be but if you know if you're not communicating it properly and a lot, and a big part of that is just you know communicating 
technical concepts to people who aren't technical. So, you know, communicating business solutions to a program manager who might not be technical, you know, so being able to capture the technicalities, but still give a high level explanation. I think those sort of skills are very important. Very nice. And uh, in companies like Google, do you find those uh, those those roles? That, I know you have been at Google a, very, a short short amount of time, and it was March, and maybe after all the um, all the the mess happened with the coronavirus, <laughs> we're recording this during the coronavirus. And and so, do you have you find that kind of communications between team members at Google, even if it, if it was remote? Uh, do you do you find that you're part of a team? So I'm telling you because of um, many students, or, or I'm talking for myself in this case. I I need a mentor, right? I need somebody that I can yeah. learn from because I don't know nobody. Uh, I don't know I don't know anything in in the work industry. Sure. So I need somebody that actually teach me, and I need to be close to people. It doesn't mean that I have to be physically close, but I I, I need to be um, I need to be yeah managed in some way or uh, putting the right yeah. way, let's say like that, in a, yeah. in a company like that. Have you find that at Google or is, is it more professional people trying to accomplish a goal? Yeah, so, you know, I've worked at a few different companies um, and I found every company is different in what they do. And, um, you know, working remote versus working in the office can also differ. Um, I've worked at some companies where I think working remote would have been a very seamless experience. Um, and I worked at companies where I was working remote because, you know, this is how things were and it was not something I was very happy with. Um, currently at Google, I got to actually work there for two days before we shut down. And and actually that's one of the reasons why I came to Google. Um, at Deloitte, I was, I was working on a local project, but it was local as in like two hours away. And so I was working from home a lot because I didn't want to commute, you know, two hours each way every day. And I didn't like working remote. I would have loved to just be there in person. Um, and one reason why I chose Google is because I know Google isn't very big on work from home. And it's only the whole team that's at the office sitting right next to you. I thought that was great. And on like, two days there, it was great. You know, when people are right next to you, and they're like, hey, John, do you have a minute? I'm like, uh, give me like two minutes and then he'll come over to look at your screen and say, oh, what's that? It's much more collaborative. Now it's more difficult to do that because, um, you know, we communicate over Google chats and everything, but I just definitely find it more detached. I know my teammates are saying it's a little more difficult. Um, so personally, I have, I have found that more difficult. Um, as far as really developing relationships, I think that really depends on your company and the chemistry and your company's culture too. Um, for example, when I was at Deloitte, I really formed some very strong bonds with my teammates. I call a lot of them my personal friends now. Um, at Google, I haven't had the chance to develop those bonds very much yet, maybe, maybe because I'm remote or maybe because, hey, we just don't get along beyond the professional level. Um, but that, that's also going to depend on your team. And I think, while, well, I think you know, what you brought up is very important. I think mentorship is super, super important. And you really want someone to guide your career. And I see so many kids that prioritize the companies they want to join by, you know, what do people think of this company? You know, they prioritize FANG over other tech companies. I think you should not do that. I think you should prioritize teams because, you know, so many people are working in these huge companies and they're miserable with their teams. They're miserable with what they do. Um, 
Well, I think that if, if you have a good team, you're just going to enjoy your work a lot more. You're going to enjoy your life a lot more. Your career is going to have, you're going to yield more success in the long term. Um, so I think it's super important to find a mentor. And you can often actually figure that out at the interview stage when you ask the hiring manager questions and how he responds to your questions. Is he receptive to feedback? You know, does he respond positively? Does he get defensive? Um, I found that very helpful to determine if my hiring manager, for example, will be someone who will be a good mentor and someone I want to look up to. And this is very interesting, and I think it's very important to remark um, because I, when they first told me at SEAL, uh, the career engagement of my school, uh, that when you're interviewing, um, you're actually interview they are interviewing you, but you're actually interviewing them as well. So yeah. I, I think it is important uh, to ask them if your, your values align with those of the company. Because if, if not, it, it is useless, especially right now, um, that we need some mentorship, especially for, for guys that are coming out of college and they have zero experience. It is important for them to feel um, in a family, in, or not, not in a family, but um, at least to have somebody to ask for help and know that they have somebody to ask for help, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think if you don't feel, you know, if your manager intimidates you or if you feel intimidated by others in your team, you're not going to ask for help, you know, you know, and it's going to just um, not, it's not a very comfortable position to work in. Uh, so, you know, having a supportive and team and this team that's receptive to feedback and really helping you develop your skills in your career, I think is super important, especially when you're starting your career. And I've had the chance to meet a lot of teams that were like that. Um, you know, I think if, I think at the Google job, there was one, there was one other tech company that really impressed just because how the team was, I was super impressed. Um, I was on to, uh, otherwise, you know, something I think at, at this point in my career, I'm very picky about Try the number one important thing I look into, but I feel like a lot of people starting their career don't really consider it just yet. But I think it is important, especially when you're studying, starting your career. All right. So do you, do you think. Mm, you worked only at, at Google as a, as a fan, right? But do you think it is, is that important for, there is the, the um, probably the false um, credo that um, entering in a fan is going to resolve your career, probably it is, but um, do you think it is important to start off with a company like that? Or do you think it is important to start, um, Maybe it is better to start with somewhere a little bit smaller than you have the chance to grow, to grow, to grow faster, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, look, I've interviewed half the fangs. Um, I've rejected fangs actually. I rejected one last year. Um, so actually, um, I like when I was interviewing for like in the past uh, end of the year. Um, I rejected one thing, but then I talked to another, so I, I interviewed at Snapchat and Snapchat, I was just blown away by the manager who was just the most supportive and positive guy. Like I, if I think of the Google job, I would have loved to work for him. Then I met, I went and I met the team and they were also super amazing. Um, and I feel that I wouldn't even have considered Snapchat if I, if I was coming out of university, maybe because, you know, everyone's like, oh, thanks, thanks. Um, but just how the team dynamics were there, I really liked that opportunity. Um, I turned down another thing just because I didn't click with the team. So I think that, you know, you, you definitely want to prioritize a company where you can make, where you can do meaningful work that will have an impact on the world. And, you know, 
align with your goals, but you also need to really prioritize that teams you're going to work with because, you know, what's the point in working at a FANG or another big company is you're thinking, I hate my job, I hate my team. I'm just doing this for two or three years to gain the experience and then I can leave. That's really not the way you want to start your career. And it's also not the life you want to lead you know, when you're young, in your 20s, I think. It's going to lead to more problems down the road. I think if you want to start off your career, you know, and your life with uh, more positivity. And I think, um, you know, I would say definitely don't, don't um, give up a big opportunity with a big company and a, and a good team and a good salary for a smaller one, just because maybe you, you like the team a little bit better. But, you know, if you have two options and one team just seems completely out of touch with what you want to do and one team is just amazing, even if the company isn't that big or well-known, I would say go with that. But obviously it also depends on, you know, what other career goals you have. At this point in my career, just, you know, being happy and working with really great people is very important to me. So that's, uh, you know, something I would prioritize. Wonderful. And do you think, so uh, you seem to, to have a lot of success along among very a lot of companies. And do you have any tips or tricks for students uh, in order to reach out to those companies? Your LinkedIn post just blew me away because it was uh, very interesting to see how you, how Google reached out to you and not you, yeah. you were not reaching out to Google, right? So how yeah. do you have any, any tactics that students can, obviously somebody that doesn't have your experience or uh, the the technical experience that you have and the cool experience that you have. So what, what are some tactics to reach out to those people? What are some tactics to put you out there? What do you have to do in order to be noticed? And is that something that you can suggest to guys, to, to students? Imagine that you are a student yeah. coming out of college. So you, you just, yeah. uh, right. So you got the question. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, it's difficult for me to say because, you know, I applied to, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and I never heard back from them. And then when I was posting on LinkedIn, they all three reached out to me. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Like, but I already applied. How, you know, if I'm good enough, why did you not reply? So I'm not really sure on how to go about it from um, as far as, you know, just cold applying goes. Um, but I can say that definitely making yourself stand out promoting yourself through exposure goes a long way, um, you know, and actually Google, Amazon, and Facebook, they all reached out to me, not recently, but that was like back when I was posting my posts, we're only getting like 10 likes, you know, like I didn't have that many followers. Um, but at that point I was already on the radar. Um, so I can't imagine, you know, how, and I, now I see a lot of students with um, like posting a lot of engagement. So I think they're in the, even in a better position than, that, than I was back then. Um, so I would say you just want to stand out. They probably got so many applications, even with referrals, you know, and especially for like entry level roles, like software engineering, product manager, I imagine they get thousands and thousands of applications and hundreds of referrals. I think it's more important to, you know, be on the radar already. You know, if it, you know, if you're a technical recruiter and you're posting on LinkedIn, you're going to consistently come up on their feed. And I think that's, and, and if you're branding yourself as someone who's very competent at that role, it's definitely going to be, you're going to think of someone they think of as soon as a job opening comes up or as soon as, you know, they want to begin interviewing people, they'll say, you know, they'll be on LinkedIn and say, oh, right, here's John, the software engineering student 
oh, right, we're hiring for this role. Let me reach out to him first. And I think people do, I think recruiters do reach out to people before they even look at the big pile of resumes. So I think that's definitely one way you can optimize your um, opportunities by creating a brand, promoting that brand and getting exposure through LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is such an, such an underrated tool and people don't really realize uh, the potential of it. Sure. So would you recommend using more LinkedIn and what, what, what actions can they do? What specific action can they do in order to be more visible on LinkedIn? Sure. So look, I get it. Not everyone wants to post stuff like that's fine. I know people have um, reservations, but you can still comment on things and like things. Um, there are so many people who comment and like on my things. So like I've never ever spoken to before. Um, but just because of their engagement, like I know who they are. I've seen their profile a few times. Um, I know what they do. And I know like if I ever needed something, someone that they do, I would probably reach out to them. Or if I ever came across a friend who needed to hire like a graphic designer, like, oh, hey, I know one graphic designer. Um, even though, again, we've never taught for anything, um, just by their engagement, I kind of have an idea of who they are. So I think even just like commenting and uh, liking things, you know, even if you comment on something that, I post for example, but you're connected to a recruiter, the recruiter will still see your comment on my post. And they'll, and if, if it's an insightful comment, it's a comment that has meaning and purpose. I think that definitely helps you stand out versus all comments that are just like, congrats, or, you know, that's so cool, thank you. Uh, so I think you could definitely comment, engage with content to promote yourself and grow your visibility as well. Sure, and this is this is how we came in contact. How, how I I could reach out to you. Actually, I commented out uh, on your post, and you you and I, I I said that I wanted to start a podcast because of your content, and and so you said yeah, sure. <laughs> so sometimes and, and, it, it is that yeah. easy. Yeah, and I'm glad you did because you know, like now with my DMs, I've given up on reading through all of them or responding because like it's just overwhelming. And it gives you so much anxiety to even deal with them. Um, so yeah, actually, I feel like also if you have, if you have questions for someone, for a recruiter or for a professional, the best way to probably ask them that question is through a comment on their content, because um, one, they won't feel as pressured that if they give you the response, they're just gonna try to keep conversation going. And two, if they don't respond, it looks bad on them. <laughs> um, so there's some social peer pressure to respond to you. Um, and then you know, others, others might find the question helpful and it just grows your branding as well as someone you know, who asks a good question. So I think engaging with people and asking meaningful questions is important too. Um, a lot of people asking how to approach recruiters. I, I, I don't think, I think you can do it through DMs. I think you can also do it through um, engaging with their comments. I think you're prone to get some good responses there. Good. Okay. That, that, that was very interesting. I never thought about the peer pressure from recruiters in order to, if you, if they don't respond to your comment, they will look back. So it's pretty interesting and it could be very helpful as well for, for students. So uh, commenting on, on posts is definitely more uh, viable than trying to DM people that have 30,000 followers and they get, I don't know how many DMs uh, a day. So commenting on, on post is, is better for sure. And let's go a little a little bit more deeper for, for those who want to stay in an engineering role. 
uh, what are some challenges that you have today? How does a, a day at Google look like, right? If you can disclose those, those information for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so my role as an application engineer is I work with our business stakeholders to create applications that make our business run faster, you know, implement a lot of process automation uh, to help our business, particularly the sales enablement part of it work better. Um, so a big part of that is, you know, business will come with uh, business problems or ideas that they want. And it's up to me to develop a solution typically on an existing cloud platform like Salesforce. Um, but the biggest part of that is not just giving them what they want. So for example, if they say, oh, can you make a form that, you know, takes uh, input from a user? Um, I don't just go and code the form. You have to say, oh, well, what's the form for? And really, I need to understand the business requirements. And I think that's kind of where my consulting background comes from. Um, but a big part of that too is understand, being able to negotiate because, you know, like if a form um, is not really needed or if not all the, all the data there is necessary, you, you can definitely negotiate that. Because for example, they might say, oh, you know, we want someone's um, first name, last name, date of birth, favorite hobby, name of their mom, you, you might say, hey, like, do you really need the name of their mom? Like, come on, like, you know, you just need their name and their data first. So just things like that. Because also, you know, like if you collect more data, there's more to maintain. So you need to look out for yourself too and for your scope of work. Um, but I would say what I struggle with the most is, you know, that aspect of it, of understanding this business requirements um, and being able to, to provide, provide a negotiated solutions. I wouldn't say struggle with, I just say, I think it's the hardest part because so many engineers are prone to just, you know, doing whatever is asked of you and not really um, negotiating or not really trying to find common ground or find the best, you know, they're so keen on delivering a solution. They're not so, um, they always seem to come up with what might be the appropriate solution. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge I face to day to day. Sure. So more the communication between the business and the engineering team in order to uh, right. negotiate actually, because the business sometimes they come, they come at you with impossible things that they think they're they, they pretty cool to do. And engineers would, would say like, okay, but this requires a lot of work. Do you really need that, right? This is kind of the, the problem you're facing. Right. Yeah, so, for, so and a, lot of, and a lot of it is also because, you know, if you, you know maybe their idea is great, but, but maybe there's a, there's a technical limitation. You know, and then you need to explain the technical limitation to them. For example, many years ago when I was doing web design, I had a client ask me, hey, Andrew, um, so I have an idea who's like, so, so you know how, web, how websites are all like rectangles or squares? I want you to make a website that's a circle. And I was like, okay, like that's not how, you know, it works because the browser is going to be a circle. And But, but, you, but you, know, you can't really explain the, all the technicalities of it. You need to simplify it and deliver it in a way that he'll understand. So it's the same um, in my job or, you know, if there's a technical limitation, something related to keep or memory or something, you know, you can't just tell them that because they won't understand what that means. You need to find a way to um, speak to them in their own language. Sure, sure. Makes total sense. And do you work in a team? So when do you have those assignments for, from a business? Do you work on a, in a team or do you work by yourself especially? Do you, what, what, what is the, what is yeah. the, the day look like, the, the, the start of a project look like? 
Yeah, sure. So right now I'm in the support role. I'm going to have my own project in a month or so. Um, so right now I'm fixing bugs on existing applications or adding feature requests. Um, so typically, you know, a bug is created, we go and it's assigned to one of us and then I go, I code it and then I uh, push it to one of the staging environments. There's a peer review process there as well. But I'd say the development, because basically I've been tackling smaller bugs and feature requests that say I handle it on my own. Though there is, so because I'm new, there is collaboration and you know, I often have to ask people, hey, how does this work? Or, you know, hey, um, can you explain this process to me? You know, because it is a big company. So we do have a lot, a lot of features in their applications that I'm just not familiar with. So oftentimes I will have to do a call and screen share and have someone from the business walk me through the process and have someone from my team, uh, which is me, two engineers and the manager, um, walk me through the code. Uh, but then I kind of take on the development myself and you know uh, deploy it through the stages, lead the QA validation, UAT, things like that. Um, but right now it's very much on my own. Um, I do sometimes help colleagues when they're, uh, when they need feedback on code or if I think a solution could be better. So I'd say there's definitely room for collaboration, but I think that it's expected that you know, you'll be able to do things independently, at least with the tasks I've been given so far. Sure, makes total sense. So I, I wanna be, Respectful of your time. It's already 50 minutes that we're talking and have been wonderful in answering all the questions. But I have the last one probably that um, so if you have to project yourself in the last year of college, what would you okay. do differently uh, in order in order to to start your career or what would you keep the same? So what were your errors that the main the main errors that you did in the last year of college and how would you fix them and what did you do right? errors um i think that's something i regret not doing is getting on linkedin sooner and really engaging people and cold messaging properly i think i, I might have tried cold messaging when i was in college and then it, it didn't work because no one was replying and i just figured oh this doesn't work but really it's i wasn't doing it properly so i think really learn how to send a proper cold message i think now there are a lot of great resources for it, so I'll need to dive into it. Um, and then, you know, create those connections at that level. And I think especially if you reach out to like university alumni or other people, um, they're, they can be very receptive to it. Like me, I have a soft spot for people who reach out from Ottawa or from my university, Carleton. Um, so I think that reaching out to alumni and creating those connections early on in your career can definitely help you go a long way and you never know who you'll meet you might meet someone who really becomes a good mentor to you or someone you know who you keep in touch with more often and provides uh leadership or career support if your current team doesn't provide that so i think just uh begin fostering those relationships uh early on and and what do you think did you do right what was the the right things you did in order to get where you are now sure um, I think I prioritized my personal goals. So, you know, I told you I wanted to travel. I didn't say, oh, you know what, I'm going to um, just focus on working at a big company now and travel later. If I did that, I'd 
be here today. I'm like, oh man, like I shouldn't have done that. You know, like I want to travel now. Um, but of course, people have different goals. So for someone, their goal might be to work um, at a thing. And you know, if so, go. If that's your what's going to give you meaning. Go do it now. Um, don't compromise so much on it at the beginning. Like really go for your goals because otherwise you're going to have regrets. Um, and also, to give you perspective, maybe you go work there and you realize it's not what you expected. Well, you're still young. You can still pivot careers. You can still do so many other things with your life. Um, so I'd say, you know, follow what you're passionate about. Try things. Make mistakes. It's okay. It's better to do them now than later. All right. That was wonderful. And thank you very much for your words. I think they're going to be helpful for a lot of people. And um, you definitely um, answered the quite uh, a lot of good questions that I that I had and I'm sorry you gave me good answer to the question that I, had. I don't know if my questions were good but thank you very much for your time I really appreciated it and let's see how this podcast goes after this first episode then. yeah yeah sure man thanks for having me Right, so you just listened to the very first episode of Now What? Please let me know if you liked the episode on LinkedIn at Gabriele Zennaro. And let me know even if you didn't like the episode on LinkedIn. Please, I'm looking for some feedback from you in order to know if what I'm doing is useful for people. And this podcast is also going to be available on Spotify. So if you want to listen, listen to it on the way to wherever you have to go, you just have to use Spotify. Uh, but if you want to get in touch with me, please do so by LinkedIn. I will keep most of the things on LinkedIn by for now. Uh, we'll see about it later. So for now, the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn and please let me know all your feedbacks because I need those. Have a great one and see you in the next one.